Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. Hi, this is David Green, and welcome back to Hack the Process. I was really excited last week to see that this podcast showed up in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes, so thank you for all of the reviews and comments you've been leaving. They really help people find the show. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking with Ankit Shah. He's the founder and CEO of Tea with Strangers. And you might not see the concept of spending an hour or so chatting with strangers over tea as a business opportunity. But maybe you will after you listen to Ankit tell us how he discovered and recognized the real need for his unusual organization by accident. Ankit thoughtfully frames his perspective on the differences between a traditional business with company values posted on their About Us page and the truly values-driven structure that emerges when something the world needs attracts and supports the people who tend it and bring it into existence. You'll hear how Ankit keeps himself motivated, how he measures the success of Tea with Strangers, and why he wouldn't go back and try to change the mistakes he might have made along the way. So folks, uh, today we're talking to Ankit Shah, and he's the uh, the mastermind behind Tea with Strangers. And Ankit, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what Tea with Strangers is? Sure. Uh, Tea with Strangers is a community organization based here in San Francisco, uh, but we have chapters in over 10 cities. Uh, and what we do is we bring strangers together for small group conversations. It's uh, kind of an original concept. Where did you come up with this idea? It wasn't, it wasn't quite a conventional um, conception because it, I, I never really thought I was going to be building an organization out of something or, or trying to bring people together at scale. It was more just um, two months before I graduated college, I wanted to get to know people that I didn't know before I left and they were no longer on the same campus as me. And I thought that two, two months before college was a good time to, to start. <laughs> How long ago was that? That was in March 2013. I came up with the idea and and I launched it within five hours of of thinking of it in class. <laughs> what did that launch look like? Um, a Facebook status. <laughs> now, I uh, I had a very simple website that I made called t.bionkit.com. And uh, it was a very, very goofy uh, proposal to everyone on the campus to say, um, I'll read it to you right now. Basically, it says, let's get tea. My name is Ankit. Like every other senior, I have six weeks left at Penn. If I don't know you, I would. I want to. Let's get tea and share stories. I won't bite. I literally wrote this entire website in one draft. It was a stream of consciousness. I didn't think too much about it. Um, everything about the website was, it was all a first draft because I didn't expect that this was going to be something that I needed to do a second draft of. If it, if it fell on its face, it wasn't going to be because I didn't get to the second draft. It would be because it was a weird idea. And turns out it was not very much a weird idea. And uh, or rather, it was a weird idea. It was st it's still weird, definitely a weird idea, but it was a weird idea that was welcomed. And I like that. And finding finding that kind of welcome is uh, can be hard for a weird idea. How did you, how did those first 
tease with strangers? I mean, how, how, how did you orchestrate that? People, I pretty much sent everyone who signed up by this Google form on the website an email. And in the email, I linked to a doodle.com link. And initially, I thought that we, I was basically going to do 30-minute slots with six people a night from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. And so I asked people to schedule 8 to 8.30, 8.30 to 9, 9 to 9.30, 9.30 to 10. I didn't have any idea that conversations don't have a hard stop in 30 minutes unless there's a very specific end goal in mind. It's very hard to end a conversation at 30 minutes. So I, at the first night, I, I still tried to make it all 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. And they all kind of went 35, 35, 40, 35. Someone, someone dropped out so that then the last one would be an hour and like something like that would happen. And I, but I tried keeping the structure the first day of time boxing. The second day, I emailed everybody and I said, hey, um, I know you signed up for 8 to 8.30, 8.39, whatever, but if the person who signed up before you is still sitting there, then we're just going to continue the conversation. And if they want to join for ours, then it might be a three-person group. And if all three of us decide to stay when the next person comes, it'll become a four-person group. We'll just see how, kind of see where it goes. Let it uh, unfold organically. And if people, you know, if people needed to leave, if, if the first 30 minute slot stayed for an hour and a half and then they needed to leave before the second hour hit, okay, go ahead, do what you want to do. I found very quickly that everybody stayed for the full three hours. And the person who came at 10.30 felt like they got the short end of the stick because if only they came at eight, they would have been a part of the whole thing while everyone else got to enjoy it for three hours. It was very funny to me. So then I, I started including in the emails you can, if, if, if we roll over into the next time slot, it'll become a group. But also, if you just want to come in the beginning, it's going to be good from the beginning. So just come at eight or come as early as you want and leave whenever you want. And everyone started coming at eight and all, everybody stayed past 11. You started getting the confidence right away that these things were going to be good. Yeah. But also, I, I, I think it's important to remember here I was not thinking about a product idea for an organization that would grow. I was just trying to figure out what the best way to do this thing was. Because as far as I was concerned, when I graduated college, I was, you know, this was going to just be a thing I did in college. It was not meant to be a thing I did any time after college. I had no desire or plan to make this a thing of my life. And yet somehow it's it's kind of become the defining thing in your life these days. You're, you've made this into a foundation and you're a CEO yeah, it's weird words to say, but yeah, it's very true. I have to ask, because I'm just curious, how does something like this translate into a business? Because what you've described doesn't, I mean, it sounds fun and it sounds interesting and it is weird and it's exciting and I love the social experiment aspect of it, mm -hmm. but I don't see how that translates into a business. Yeah, that's a good question. It's not a business right now. I can't say, I can't say that we have successfully turned it into a business, but I also can't say that we have successfully really tried to. So this is, I, I guess I have a philosophy on, on the nature of uh, an organization like Tea with Strangers that, that relates it to how it would turn into a business. When your strongest asset of, of your offering is the people that are creating the thing that you are building. That is to say, I might have designed a blueprint, but people have constructed the building. If you want a really, really awesome building that is welcoming to even more people, 
then you're going to really need to serve every single unit that is making that building what it is. You want that building to stay where it is, but you want it to continue to grow. So first focus on feeding the people. Make sure that what you're doing is actually serving people. And when you're not serving people well, understand what you can do to serve them better. Figure out what the problem is that you're actually solving. You usually, I think for me, I don't, I didn't know what problem I was solving when I was building two with strangers. I wasn't sure what value I was creating, but people started to come. So then I started asking them, what, what is this good for? Why are you coming? And then I started thinking, okay, you're coming for this. How can we do this better? And then we make some more changes. How can we do this better? We make some more changes. And then eventually we get confident enough in how we're doing what we're doing. And hopefully how we're doing what we're doing is also something that can grow scalably. I think that's part of the equation of, it, of, of figuring out how to do what you do. But once you actually know that you're doing it better than anybody else could do it, and once you know what value you're actually creating, then you have a better understanding of where the business model can come in. I think that sounds foundational for the concept of a business. And I think that one of the places people I've talked with who are starting businesses or trying to start businesses have the most trouble doing is figuring out where they're actually adding value and whom they're adding value for. Whereas you're starting there. There's a lot of quick assumptions about, about what value you create for people. people. People think that these are very easy questions to solve, which for some organizations, it might be. Like if, if, if your market size is easily defined by a financial group, then maybe it's a little easier to see how you're creating value. That is to say like there is an industry for running sneakers and that industry size is guided by the number of runners within the places that the running sneaker company has distribution channels and where people are buying running shoes. You define that market size. And then when you come out with a new pair of running shoes, you know that there's a part of the pie that you are trying to eat at. And if you are a behemoth uh, shoe company, you might, your goals might not be, there's a part of the pie I'm trying to cons uh, consume. You might say, I'm trying to increase the size of the pie because that is a more valuable business decision for us. But a new running shoe company can't say that. And the thing with something like Two with Strangers is the pie, there's no pie of belonging. <laughs> there's no pie of, of togetherness. And if there is, that pie is 7 billion people, which is an awfully unspecific pie. So you're going to need to start somewhere a little more specific than that. So you have to understand who are you actually serving? What are you serving them with? What are they, how do they change because of what you have offered them? It's interesting because your, uh, your, your constituency in this case, I'm, I, 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 don't call them a customer base. It's like these are, this is your audience. Members. Members. Your members. Your members. They are strangers. So there's the only defining factor is that they're strangers who would buy into this weird idea. That's a very big conditional, by the way. The who, <laughs> who would buy into this very weird idea is a very important conditional to bear in mind. That's not everybody. That's very true. And, it, you know, it's a weird and wonderful idea. So it definitely dis it circumscribes the, the audience very specifically. Yeah. And that, that you think it's a wonderful idea puts you closer to being in that, that market segment, so to say. That makes sense. I, so when you started this, um, did, you, did you immediately start clicking with people who 
resonated with the idea and wanted to help you grow it? Or did you even imagine growing it? I didn't imagine growing it. A lot of people approached me about copying what I was doing. Um, I realized that I was uh, copying what I was doing in the sense that they wanted to make their own t.bytheirname.com because it wasn't, no, nobody even thought, hey, I want to join t.bionkit because t.bionkit was very clearly bionkit. So, it, it, you know, there wasn't a notion of let's, can I join you? There was a notion rather of, can I do the thing that you're doing except me? And then I started thinking, well, there's people reaching out to me about copying this. There's some people that I think should copy it. There's some people who I think might need to understand how to not taint it. You know, I, I probably know this better than anybody because I've done it so many times. All I want to do is make it a platform so all the people that I think should be copying it can copy it more easily. That's, 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 that was where the idea for Two with Strangers conceptualized. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's grown now. How, how large is Tea with Strangers, just so people have an understanding of the scope of this? Right now, about over 5,000 strangers have gotten together um, over small group conversations of five people each. Um, about 15,000, closer to 20 now, have, have signed up to join Tea with Strangers on the website. Um, and almost always, you know, more than more than sixty percent of these people have either signed up for a tea time right after signing up for the website, or have expressed clear intention to sign up for a tea time, but our supply chain is not optimized enough. That is, tea times are not up often enough to actually satisfy the demand. So we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of efficiency problems in that sense. Um, but thousands of people. And just so people know, not every tea time is with you anymore. Oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> Goodness, that would, that would I think it would get people sick. I'm 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 an awful bore <laughs> after the first like ten minutes. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're still listening to this podcast at this moment, then I might be wrong. Well, I'm betting on that because <laughs> uh, I, I I spent uh, I think three hours with you and a small group of strangers listening to another podcast in your apartment right. as my own first uh, exposure to Tea with Strangers. And I thought that the entire conversation was, was riveting from beginning to end. Well, I'm glad. I'm very glad. But how many people are now hosting events with Tea with Strangers? So right now we have about 250 hosts um, spread across, I think, 12 chapters at the moment. <laughs> have you uh, personally met and trained all of these people? I have personally met probably... Probably more than half, almost two thirds of the hosts. Uh, I really care about getting close to them. They they all matter to me so much. Um, even though I mean, you know, obviously I don't know everyone personally, but they're really, you know, they're contributing to something that I think is so amazing and special. And it wouldn't be exist if they weren't doing it. So that's amazing to me. Um, and I don't train everybody, but as far as training, I I really I try to put it in the hands of the hosts who are bringing on a new host. So if I recommend somebody, then I will take a stronger role in being helpful to them. But if someone else recommends somebody and then become a host, then that somebody should be hopefully um, attended to by the person who referred them. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious now about the consistency of the training and about the what goes into that. Are there are there documents? Are there, how, how have you managed to normalize what, what goes into becoming a host? 
Um, that's a, the question is assuming I have managed to normalize it. Um, <laughs> I give you credit. <laughs> uh, I, I have managed to try to normalize it. Um, and right now I'm on, I'm on a, I'm probably the, the attempt that I feel the most confident about is what I'm working. One of the things I'm working on right now is, um, is host education materials and processes. Um, but so far what we have done is we have Facebook groups that are actively discussing the nature of conversation. They actively discuss, um, how we ought to treat each other. They actively discuss why people come to tea times and the experiences that we have at tea times and the challenges we face in hosting. And these are also groups where we actively discuss why we're even involved in this in the first place. It's kind of a cultural and strategic echo chamber in this Facebook group. And the training that I hope that everyone would get would be some summation of reading the entire body of the Facebook group. Nobody does that naturally, which is nobody why, but you, I imagine. Oh uh, well, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm. That's also I'm pretty analytical about it all, so I, I, I care about reading it all. But, um, I hope that as long as we're maintaining momentum in the Facebook group, that regularly content is coming out that is pushing hosts to critically consider the questions of what they could do to become better hosts, and, um, that is not. I think a reliable strategy. It's something that to work so far, but we're also pretty small right now. Um, mm -hmm. Well, you know, relative to where I think we could be in two years, we're incredibly, we're tiny, we're a spec. Relative to something that is new and otherwise didn't exist two years ago, we're big, but you know, it depends on the scope of where you're thinking the organization would go. Can you can you share with us some of the interesting things that have come out of those discussions that uh, might have surprised you? So, so here's a post uh, that I made in the in the group about two days ago. Uh, it was an excerpt from an interview with Paul Graham, who's a Silicon Valley investor. And the interview had nothing to do with anything related to empathy or listening or connection. But it was the introduction of the interview. And the interviewer says, Paul, there's a lot of people that have learned from you over time, both from your essays and from working directly with you. I just want to say thanks so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Paul says, I'm looking forward to it too. Let's see how good of a job you guys do. Are you going to ask me interesting questions? And the interviewer says, I hope so. At least I hope you'll have interesting answers regardless of the questions. And Paul says, it's actually a trick for interviews. If someone asks you a boring question, just answer the interesting one they might have asked and nobody complains. <laughs> I like that. And then, and then you know, it, it, interestingly, I was just kind of sharing it to get a few people to laugh about how how malleable conversations are and how much we actually have the agency to make conversations what we want them to be. Um, that was really the point that I was kind of get across. And then um, everyone actually started having a discussion about the interview, which I was surprised by because that wasn't the point. But I think a lot of people really resonated with, with the nature of um, understanding how you can present stories within conversations to drive them in interesting directions, even if um, those stories are not directly answering the question that somebody may have asked. I think there are a lot of professionals out there who've turned that uh, skill 
uh, greatly to their advantage when it comes to interviews. And, you know, certainly in the pol political sphere, um, their people are frequently, they answer the question they want to hear, not the question they were asked. But the funny thing is, you know, obviously in those environments, it, there's always kind of like a, an end game. But in these environments, the end game is to, is to encourage more connection, which I think is, um, is not a very bad end game, if you think about it. It's an end game that says, I'll answer the question that you might have asked, not because it'll win me PowerPoints, but rather it'll win us connection points. I like that. And, that, and that's, a, that's interesting because one of the questions I had for you actually was how you measure and judge the effectiveness of what you're doing since it has, it, it's sort of amorphous. Yeah, it's something that we're working on right now. It's actually similar to the challenge as interesting as it, it may, it may or may not be evident, but it's interesting in that it is related to the challenge of the question you asked earlier about host education and standardization. How do you, how do you normalize the understanding that all the hosts have um, is actually very similar to the question of how do you measure your success? It's what we're working on right now. It's, 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 we are defining our values. Um, if you define the values of your organization and you are actually legitimately a values-driven organization, not just a values-driven organization on the about page, but rather a values-driven organization whose decisions are based on those values, what you start doing is you start funneling every operation through the values that you're actually trying to promote. So right now we're working on defining our values. I think once we have actually defined, say, a set of five, a five is arbitrary just because it's a round number and it's easier to remember. And that is actually surprisingly important when you're trying to make something that is understood across the organization. Not all that surprising. It all has to fit into a human head. Yeah. So if we have five values, then when we vet a host, we're vetting them for how well they live out those five values. When we onboard a host, we're onboarding them to really emphasize those five values. When we collect feedback from attendees about how the tea time went, we're really just asking the attendees, how well did we live out these five values? When we are putting hosts in positions of mentorship for new hosts, the measurement of success and support is going to be related to those five values. If everything we do is aligned with this framework of what those five values are, then decisions become a lot easier. Measuring success is measuring how much do we put out these five values into the world around us. And obviously that is not a quantitative measure, but rather you come up with measures that, that point you in that direction. Well, who said measurement had to be quantitative? Fair. Fair. Yeah, no, I, I like that. It's a values-based measurement system, and that's, that's absolutely legitimate. I was always under the impression that the values would speak for themselves. I was only, and I hope that they have to an extent. The fact that our host community has been as consistent as it has been is partially because we're very, very, we tend to our garden very well. We pull out the weeds, but not because we have a manual that says these are the weeds to pull out, rather because we teach people, you know, we, we find people who know how to see these things. How, how did you even come up with a concept for an organization like this? I mean, are you, do you feel like this is modeled after anything else no. that you've ever seen? No. <laughs> at all and it's very stressful for me because if i thought about that earlier then i would be able to grow to strangers with a much clearer head i make up a lot of this stuff as i go i make up so much of this stuff as i go and and i if ever if ever anyone takes advice from me with respect to building an organization i think that the most important advice is learn as much as you can 
always understand that you might be wrong and just keep trying. And like, and there are times when I forget that advice myself and I'm looking, I'm just like, oh, there's a way to do this one. Like there's definitely an approach to this. And then eventually you realize that the, the actual approach that ended up working was something that had nothing to do with what everyone else was doing. And working is based on whether or not it was consistent with the values as you understood them at the time. Spot on. I love that. I, I really love that. So, so it's, it's stressful. I'm curious, what, how much of your day is consumed by this at this point? All of it. Really? Like even when I'm sleeping, when I'm showering, it's like, it's constant thoughts. And, and, you know, when I say 24 hours, um, what I mean is that the understanding of what two strangers is and what it could be is what consumed my mind 24 hours a day. But as far as doing work on like the computer or, or carrying out strategic objectives, it is about uh, 10 hours of my day. So in the sense of how long is your work day? 10 hours. In the sense of how much are you thinking about this? I'm never not thinking about it. When I have time with where where my loved ones are available to to spend time together, which happens to be on the weekends, then I really think it's important to to engage in that because they create the world that I live in. Like if if they're not there, then a lot of these values don't really. Um, well, some of the values are are related on interpersonality. Um, some of them are, are self-contained uh, and you can live out those values by yourself, but a lot of them have to do with how you treat others. I can see that. And making time for yourself is a very important aspect of all of this. So for those, uh, those days when you are working on Tea with Strangers, how do, you, how do you organize your time? How do you keep yourself structured? Um, so I'll walk you through how I live like my days, but then I'll also walk you through how I, how I manage my time when I'm sitting down at a, at a desk. Okay, that sounds good. As far as the first, I, I wake up and I go on a run. Whether that run is two miles or 12 miles depends on the day, but I will get outside. Um, that is hands down the most important part of my day, getting outside and like breathing out air. <laughs> um, then I come back home and, and I'll shower. I'll, I'll, I'll make breakfast. I'll make coffee. Um, not tea <laughs> no actually i drink way more coffee than i do tea this is the big the big heist of tea with strangers it's all it's all a lie your secret is out now <laughs> <laughs> um so you know and then i'll take a shower and then I'll, I'll sit at my desk and i spend time drinking my coffee while also spending about 15 to 30 minutes just writing um i think i think a lot when i'm running and I, I experience this weird existential anxiety if I don't get my words from a, from a run out onto paper um, or digital paper. And I'll just write. And nobody sees this writing. If something good comes out of it, maybe it'll go into a Facebook status, who knows. But like, I'm really just writing to, get my, to organize my thoughts. Um, and that way I can go into my work not constantly thinking about the questions of the world that I, that are constantly circling in my mind. <laughs> Fair enough. And then after I get the writing done is when I actually in my head go into work mode. I, I start zoning in and I'll, I'll break down the current projects that I'm working on um, into what is actually achievable that day. And I'll make sure that I am contextualizing it 
in the larger picture of what this project is actually looking to achieve because that's a really important motivator to me if i don't actually know what i'm like why i'm working on something it's very hard for me to like want to do it so i remind myself of why i'm doing the thing i'm doing and that's not that's not like a spiritual exercise it's literally just thinking what is this project going to achieve for the organization uh like as far as strategic objectives and as long as i know that then i get to work and i just charge ahead some of it involves a lot of emailing most of it involves a lot of emailing a lot of it involves understanding how to communicate an idea um and circling around the point that you want to get across and then figuring out how to actually communicate it in words or other mediums um and how long it'll take and who needs to hear that message um it's understanding that communication strategy and then a lot of the time it involves looking at excel spreadsheets and seeing how we're actually doing in the cities that we're that we're serving so it is i mean it's kind of technical work most of my time is not spent talking to people you've got a lot to keep coordinated is it really all coordinated just in excel spreadsheets or are there uh, like tools that you use it's mostly excel spreadsheets a lot of emailing and a notebook i'll be honest i i'm very very bad at using tools um every time i've ever tried a task management system or a timer or, or anything that like a project management system, I get very stressed out by the system. Like I, I remember there was a day where my main task was to organize my Asana and I spent the day organizing my Asana. And then the next day I started doing the things on my Asana, but it took me a day to organize my Asana. And I thought that that was ridiculous. <laughs> and that's not Asana's fault. It's, it's my fault. I am very, very bad at organizing these things. I'm much better at writing things on large sheets of paper. So I have a big eight by 10 notebook that I, that I organize my mind on. And I don't like using an app. I like just writing things down. <laughs> I can understand that. And you'd be surprised how many people I've talked to have said exactly the same thing. I'm curious though, since you're working with an organization, um, how how do these things get communicated and who is who is helping to support you in the development of this business other than the hosts is this a volunteer organization nonprofit no it's actually surprisingly it's neither it's it's actually none of the above it's it's uh and this is part of what has required me to to think through things in a way that don't rely on other organizations and their norms um because there are things about see with strangers that are that are actually different and I know most of the time you, you, you can look at most problems and say, no, there's actually a comp. There's always a comp. And with Two with Strangers, something I realized is that why people love working on Two with Strangers, why people contribute to it, why the host host, is because they actually see in Two with Strangers something that exists that doesn't have like an alternative. It's something that should exist. And I didn't even realize this, by the way. Uh, it didn't even strike me that the reason everyone does this is because they actually just care about the organization and they think it's important for it to exist. And they actually would go far out of their way to make sure that it continues to thrive. So when I realized this, I realized there are definitely people who want to work on this as hard as I work on it. They just don't know what to do. So I understand the problems that this organization is facing more, more holistically than anybody. So I'm in a position to actually break down those problems and think about who the best people to solve those problems are. And what would it take to get those people to work with me and solve those problems in a way that was not just me asking them questions for advice, but rather involving them in the organization to run it with me as partners. No longer making this a one-man show, actually involving the genius surrounding me 
in, in, in that is in the Tea with Strangers community to run this organization in a more effective way. Because there's definitely things that other people understand that I don't. Um, so what if I could put them in positions where they could inform the decisions that we're making? Because I realized at a certain point that these are no longer my decisions. These are Tea with Strangers' decisions. And it just so happened that I was the only one making them. And there needed to be other people involved in this process. Ideally, not just any other people, but the right people. So, you know, asking myself questions about who the right person was and what they look like, why, why what makes them right. And, um, and also, what do they need to solve? So I broke down the, the, the challenges of two strangers. The challenges are to maintain a strong host community, a growing one. To maintain a strong attendee community, a growing one. To get all of these operations to work efficiently and for our website to be running <laughs> and for us to continue to leverage the website to actually do the thing that we're aiming to do better. So, you know, the website, it's not just keeping it alive and paying the hosting bill. It's rather, you know, obviously growing the product. Fascinating. The So the closest comp I can come to in my mind, it sounds almost like what you've done is you've taken the, the visionary aspect of open source software and you've essentially created an open source organization. Exactly. Exactly. Spot on. But so these are people who are not working on Tea with Strangers because they're expecting a return. That's not to say that they might not get one. It's just to say that we don't work on this organization because we want this organization to make money. We work on this organization because we want this organization to exist and to thrive. And eventually, when we start realizing that there are things our organization needs to do, and it, those things will cost us money, not just passion, those will cost us like other material resources, then we'll find out how we can actually continue to grow Tea with Strangers in a way that aligns what we do with what we need to do. By the way, I just want to I I address that that doesn't mean delaying monetization. It means being patient about monetization. It's not part of your initial values. The monetization isn't the focus. Yeah. I mean, long-term sustainability is a value and growth and strength is a value. And if money is needed to do those things, then money will be a part of it. But if money is not needed to do those things, then money doesn't need to be a part of it. I don't think of monetization as a value. I think of monetization as feeding our ability to serve our values. So eventually, it will be helpful to have money in the bank account to feed this organization. But it's not necessary to achieve our, at the moment, money is not important to helping us achieve our values because everything we do we achieve because of the support of our hosts our hosts are not asking for money our attendees are not asking for money and the leadership of the organization if it is uh able to continue growing the organization on nights and weekends then it also is not asking for money nobody really cares about working for two strangers because they want to get paid you're going through a lot you've been putting yourself through a lot for a year and a half building this business how do you keep yourself motivated through all of that Hmm. Has it not even occurred to you not to be motivated? Yeah, no, it hasn't. I haven't really thought about about not trying. That hasn't been a thought to me. I think I I have a very very strong belief that what seaweed strangers can become is something that the world needs. That's all. I can see how that in and of itself could be motivating. Yeah, but it's not even just like a, I think the world needs it like 
you know, and I will be the one to give it to them. I just think that it's like, it's just a fundamental need that isn't being satisfied right now. And, and if I can find all the people in the world that care about carrying community to the people that are around them and creating a space that is inviting and welcoming, even if tea with strangers as an organization fails, that these people have a common hub that they have found in bringing others together even if Seaweed Strangers as a product doesn't work. It's like good that these people know each other and that's like really, really powerful. And I guess, I guess like in my mind, that's the worst case scenario, which is like still pretty awesome. So I haven't thought about stopping because there's no shortage of really amazing people that want to bring others together around. These are people that, you know, they're there and there's nothing serving them. So the idea that I would stop working on creating this is like, it's beyond me. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, I do think that other people think this stuff is obvious too. It's just that I, I don't know why they're not working on it. It's just. Well, not yet, but you, you're creating the platform that's going to allow them to. I hope so. I hope that too is strangers is something that enables more people to connect other people. So I have a question for you. It's It's been... Um, you know, a year and a half, two years as you've been working on this. If you had this to start over again, how would you approach it differently or would you? I fear the question uh, for two reasons. One, because there's not much I can do about the past. Um, and the second is because a lot of the nuance that I understand about Two with Strangers came in procrastination, came in a lack of understanding came in nobody actually telling me how to do these things, but rather me just kind of like screwing around and trying to figure it out. There's a lot of things with regards to Two with Strangers that I think if, if they were done, if I did them with the brain that I have now two years ago, would be so much more strategically very effective. I'm a much smarter person now than I was two years ago. But I've also, like as far as like running an organization, I understand it much better than I did two years ago because two years ago I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't know what the heck hell I was doing and now I know one percent maybe if I'm lucky and I actually think that that stupidity that I brought to the table two years ago forced me to learn things that maybe might have may currently be flying under my radar and I don't wish to restart the organization with my brain right now because there's things that I may have missed in that process if I were in this hypothetical scenario no, I'm thinking about all of the people out there who might have a different vision or their own ideas and are thinking about how they might want to start something like this, what they can learn from your experiences. Sure. And that's a question that I might have a, a more useful answer to. If you're trying to start something that you want to see grow and succeed, then you should probably care about bringing something into the world. Not bringing you and your reputation, not bringing success into the world, but bringing something where where success has a proxy measurement. But that's not the point. Like I'm not, I'm not looking at two strangers and thinking, oh, this is going to be the number one community organization of the world if there was such a thing. That's not like you know that's like a silly goal because it's completely based on some external standard. The goal that you should be pursuing is a goal that's based on an internal standard. 
And if you can understand whatever that goal is that you have your own standards to measure, there's a good likelihood that you're going to pursue that ad nauseum. You're going to work on it harder than the next person who works on it because they're trying to beat somebody. They're trying to get something. You're trying to become who you are. And and I don't see my work with regards to two. It's strange. I mean, obviously, I'm not, you know, I, this sounds a little bit new agey, so I think it's worth acknowledging. I, I am a very competitive person. I do have desire for two strangers to be a very strong and thriving organization. I'm not actually okay with it being small and um, and underachieving. I have no I have no regard for for underachievement. With that said, I have the confidence to say that like I do think that two strangers is going to be a very strong and very powerful organization, and it will touch millions of people. But it's not because I'm trying to – that's because I think that it's possible, not because I want to beat somebody, not because, like, I have something to prove. It's just because when something that I believe is possible, it is upon me to carry out those values in the best way I know how. Like, it's, it's related to me being the best version of myself. If I can be the best version of myself, then I am continuing to, to create something that other people can benefit from. And when I create that, I benefit. Like, it's almost like, you know, some people see hosting as, like, if I'm talking to, like, say, a business person or, like, a a venture capitalist or somebody like that, they'll say, so basically you have a human connection marketplace and the hosts are the supply side and the attendees are the demand side. So what is incentivizing the supply side to offer their supply? Why should they host your attendees? And I'm thinking... The reason you think that way is because you're thinking of a, a marketplace like Uber where you're trying to get drivers to drive people around so you need to pay them and create fair incentive structures that way. And see with strangers, a host is not providing a service to an attendee. The attendees are providing a service to the host and the host is providing a service to an attendee. It's called matchmaking. It's not a marketplace. It's matchmaking except it's matchmaking of intention. So you don't need to pay a host to host, and you don't need to pay an attendee to attend, because the attendee is getting what they want, and the host gets what they want. The same way, when I think of Tea with Strangers, I'm not thinking of what I'm getting. I'm getting exactly what I want just by working on it. It sounds like you've had some of these conversations with venture capitalists who don't quite get it. Yeah, I mean, and some of them get it after you talk to them about it a certain way. There's actually, I mean, you know, you can actually break this down into a clear, like, argument on a pitch deck. Like, one of our leveraged insights that we understand that other people don't understand is that hosts don't need to be paid to host other people. Hosts actually enjoy bringing people together. Like, that is, a, that is something that we understand about our demographic, that someone else trying to build this from a business mind and not a heart mind is, is not going to understand. It's a, it's a competitive advantage. This is, you know, it, it can be reframed to fit the venture capitalist lens. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so um, you're starting to look at uh, organizing into uh, something that's a little bit more structured. Do you have a vision for where you'd like to see the organization in a year? Um, yeah, I, I, I want to, and I have a, it's mostly, it's mostly a qualitative vision. And what I mean by that is I want it to be, incredibly easy for people to find out when tea times are happening. Uh, I want them to be able to sign up for a tea time anytime that they want to. 
that is increased supply and actually have the supply and the demand actually be communicating with one another a little more honest, like a little more transparently. Um, it should be easy for anybody to become a host and have what they need to be a good host. And it should be easy for two strangers to weed out hosts who are not good and do so in a way that is honest and not uh, punitive, but rather respectful. And it should be easy for someone to bring tea with strangers to their locale if they want to. Okay. So it's all about facilitating what you have and making it more more straightforward and more structured so that people can join it and take advantage of it more easily. Exactly. Um, and I think that when we have structures in place to do those things and they maintain the quality of what we're actually aiming to offer, what will end up happening is... It will be so easy. I, I have so, at least the moment, and this might be, uh, you know, stupid confidence, um, but I have, I have very, very little doubt that we could get hordes and hordes and hordes of people to come to tea times if we have the system in place to encourage great hosting, to, to honestly communicate what we're trying to achieve and let the attendees know that we're always growing and make it clear and make it as easy as possible for people to get tea time when they want tea time. So how can people find you online? Uh, they can just go to teawithstrangers.com. Um, if they want to find me personally, um, they can search my name. There's unfortunately uh, not too many Ankit Shahs competing for search engines. So um, if you search Ankit Shah, A-N-K-I-T-S-H-A-H, you'll find me. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Ankit Shah. I'm not a very good tweeter. Um, and I'm on Instagram. And I'm also not a very good Instagrammer. I'm pretty bad at social media. I just talk a lot. But yeah, Ankit Shah is, is my name and you can find it pretty much anywhere on the internet. Fantastic. Well, I'll, I will be sending people your way. And thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us today. Absolutely. And thank you so much, David, for, for having me. This was a really, really lovely time. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.